And so the, the question is that you will have to face is, do you have a sense of the reality of God and do you feel love? Because your love of God is also what enables you to feel God's love for you. But that love has to be very consciously uh, offered. And, and then you will feel that the offer is accepted if it's authentic. And it's in that connection then that uh, the soul is able to come out of uh, hiding or out of imprisonment from the ego and uh, become the, uh, the vehicle of consciousness that is then able to rise even higher into the presence of the Supreme Spirit. <clears throat> so I think that one of the ways we can inculcate that love is by reading the works of poets who felt that love, who felt it so deeply and could write about it with such, uh, uh, such truthfulness that one could read those poems and feel what they were feeling. And the, the love could be transmitted. It could be activated because everyone's heart has it, but it's atrophied, it's gone to sleep, it, it, it's in suspended animation for many. But if you will read these poems that we're gonna be uh, talking about this evening, I think it will Awaken love in your heart, love for God. And then the realization that God, as your beloved, is actually that part of yourself which is missing in the phenomenal plane, which has created the whole sense of lack and brought about all of the fears and the uh, misguided desires of the ego. So I think that, that these, uh, these poems of, of true lovers of God are, uh, are one of the most priceless uh, uh, jewels we have in, in, in our, our human heritage uh, to keep alive the ability to connect with uh, the divine love in our hearts and, and then open up to the fullness of a relationship to God that will become the realization of non-duality. And I think it's very clear, at least from my study of literature, that the most uh, fertile and beautiful lineage of poets wa was that of the Persian Sufi poets during that golden age uh, of Sufism in which uh, the Sufi uh, or the Muslim empire extended from Spain and Portugal all the way to uh, beyond Persia and all the way into China, in fact. And there were Sufi sects in India, like the Naqshbandi uh, sects, and, and there were many others, of course, the, the Mevlevi that began in Persia and moved to Turkey but lost their their essence in, in that move, but the, uh, there were so many uh, beautiful uh, 
schools, wisdom schools among the Sufis that produced incredible uh, books of poetry that uh, to me are, are still living uh, animators of soul consciousness and heart opening that, that have the power to revive a heart that maybe feels it has gone dead and, uh, and can no longer feel such, uh, such deep feelings. So that's why we're studying these. And uh, of course, we, we, we just read one book of, of poems by an early uh, Sufi poet. Uh, this one we're reading is, is uh, one of, some would say he is the greatest of all of the, you know, the, the Persian Sufis. I'm speaking, of course, of Sheikh Farid al-Din Attar, Neshaburi. Atar is what he's known as, and Atar, of course, means perfume. He was, in fact, a perfumer uh, for a living. Uh, his father was, and he came from a long line of, of, of those people who, in those days, were actually masters of spices. They didn't just do perfumes, but they were apothecaries, and they were, they were Ayurvedic uh, healers. They, they understood all the secrets of, uh, of, of the spice and of uh, how to use plant medicine. And so uh, Atar was, uh, was already, while alive, one of the great uh, figures of, of the, he was very, very famous, very renowned, and uh, uh, Rumi's father uh, knew all of his writings, and when Rumi was a child, he would read Atar's poetry uh, to him. He actually gave him a, uh, actually Atar, he actually, they met, and Atar gave him a book of his poetry, but his father also uh, gave him uh, books of his poems. And uh, when the, um, uh, the, uh, the, the Mongol hordes were attacking Persia from the east. The Brumi's fa family had to move, and one of the places they stopped in order to avoid the persecution that was, was coming was, uh, was in Atar's town, and they met. And, uh, and Atar said, Rumi will be uh, a great poet who will carry on the tradition. So there was a transmission of the torch between the two. So in a way, we're reading Atar in preparation for reading Rumi and, and for reading some of, of Rumi's works that are not usually read, not the ones translated by Coleman Barks and the, the famous ones, but the, the, there's much more profound works by Rumi that I, I would like to get into. But first, uh, I think we have to really uh, appreciate the lineage uh, that he was coming from and the inspiration that he received from, uh, from Atar. And, and then, of course, later from Shams and his practice of, of deep meditation and entering samadhi and, and becoming fully uh, uh, awakened. 
it's important to know that the Sufis, because they extended from the Iberian Peninsula to China, they were aware of Advaita, they were aware of Mahayana, they were aware of Tantra, they were aware of Taoism, and you can hear, read references to all of those in these poems. Uh, the Sufis were, and still are really, very universal in their approach. And, and this is, of course, what got them into trouble because they, they would often say, no, I'm not a Muslim, my religion is love, right? And so a number of them got burned at the stake for saying that a bit too loud uh, in the wrong uh, places. Uh, but they, they were in a state of non-duality, but it was that ultimate state of non-duality in which samsara and nirvana are one. And because of that, they could simultaneously be in a state of longing for God and at the same time be in God consciousness giving the answer to those who are in a state of longing for what you need to, to do or to feel or to open within yourself in order to be healed of that uh, separation. So that's why I think uh, Atar is, is excellent medicine. Have any of you read it already? Have you, uh, no, okay, so there's a, there's a, a long, uh, interesting introduction. I'm gonna read one poem from the introduction you know, that, that is, uh, isn't included in the, in the list of poems, and then I'll read a, first, uh, a, a few of the initial ones. Uh, love hints, it doesn't reason. Okay, so that's the first thing. If you really want to connect to God in a state of love, it's about very subtle hints and you can't use concepts and in intellectualization. Love hints, it doesn't reason. Sell your heart to it, okay, to this way of being, right? That is the best deal here. Let your heart climb out of that grave, which is your ego, into the light of love. That is the only pilgrimage here, okay? So that's the pilgrimage we're on, a pilgrimage of love that brings us ever closer to the source of love, which we can call God, Allah, the Buddha nature, Brahman, Shiva, Krishna, whatever. But <clears throat> what is different about the, the Sufi approach is that Buddha nature seems like it's dry, it's impersonal. Brahman, what is that? You know, uh, what is a unified field of consciousness? It, it, uh, it's not something you can really love, you know? You can have curiosity about and a scientific interest in, but you know, you don't love uh, something that is not personal. You love someone someone who loves you, someone with intelligence and with subtlety who can speak to you with very subtle hints. And, uh, and so if you have a personal relationship with God and you actually 
feel the responses that you are personally receiving from God, which will happen, that will change everything for you because you will be living in a dyad, in a relationship with an invisible friend and lover who will fulfill uh, all of your, uh, your questions and your, uh, your needs to feel whole, which you can't get through any other means. This is the reason why the Vaishnavs uh, are, are, are in disagreement with the, the Shaivites in, in, uh, in, in Hinduism. And uh, the, uh, the Vaishnavs are very much against non-duality and Brahman and uh, thinking of God as impersonal. They want to relate to God as a person, not even as Mahavishnu, because he's asleep, right? You know, on the ocean of milk and dreaming the world. But you can't relate to him. You're in his dream, but he's not in the dream. He's beyond it. So they prefer to relate to Krishna because Krishna, you know, is fun. He's a rogue. He plays. He steals your butter, but he'll give you cream, you know. And he's, he is someone you can, you can have a relation with. Uh, and that's why, of course, there are so many gods and goddesses, and even the Buddhists who claim to want the Buddha nature, if you really go into a Buddhist culture, you'll see there were, in Tibet they're worshiping Tara, and they're worshiping so many other gods and goddesses, uh, and they're worshiping great gurus, and you know, like Padma Sambhava and all of that. There's a very personal connection, even though the theology is, uh, is non-theistic, but the, the practical way of relating to the divine is through a personal relationship. And the same is true in, in most of the, if not all of the non-dual traditions. Okay, so let me read some of the poems. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste.